Um, let's go to Acts chapter 19. <clears throat> I was thinking of having some folks uh, help us read through the passage, but I think we'll just, we'll just uh, dive right on in, and, and then we'll, we'll unpack the Word of God. There, um, in chapter 19, there's several movements of the Christian faith or the journey of many uh, missionaries that are bringing the Word of God, and it's being led by none other than the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul and his journeys continue, and um, what I love about Paul is that he continues to get more and more and more people involved, um, and which is an encouragement to us that we as believers um, should continue to grow in the Word of God, and we should continue to bring more and more people to the Word of God because the Word of God helps us change the world. Amen? Okay, so Acts chapter 19. Let's go ahead and... And start there. How you doing, little Zoe? Good to see you, man. You're awesome. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asks, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. And Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. Not Tyrannosaurus Rex, but Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Let's read verses 11 and 12 and then we'll take a breather. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had been touched by him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. Wow. All right, let's pause for a moment. If you back up just a little bit, you will find that Paul and his disciples had been moving through Corinth. They had, they had gone through Athens. They had... Um, they had even gone through Ephesus. Paul left all of these places, um, left Corinth, but then he makes his way back to Ephesus. And it's, it's where Paul comes into contact with another disciple of the gospel named Apollos. Now, last week I talked about the significance of Apollos and how Apollos was a very gifted communicator. He was a very good speaker. 
but they saw that Apollos had some gaps in his theology. In other words, Apollos had some areas in his knowledge and understanding about God that, was, that were very limited, although he was a very intelligent person, a very highly educated man. So Paul calls over um, Aquila and Priscilla, a husband and wife. And they noticed that Apollos needed some, some more discipleship, some more instruction. So the Bible says that Aquila and, and, and Priscilla brought Apollos aside and taught him more about the gospel of Jesus Christ so that he could connect the dots from the Old Testament knowledge of God to the New Testament understanding of who Jesus was. Because Apollos also was very familiar with the gospel that John the Baptist had preached. Okay, Now, John the Baptist, you guys remember who John the Baptist was, right? John the Baptist was the cousin of Jesus. All right, He was older than Jesus by a little bit. And the Bible says that he was the forerunner of Christ. In other words, God gave John the Baptist the word of God to go forth and preach a gospel of repentance. So he would say, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And he preached the message of repentance. And this repentance would, um, would allow people to become at one with God by acknowledging their sin and being baptized in water. And John, John was not baptizing them in the name of John. He was baptizing them in the name of Jesus. For he was um, making, making paths for Christ who is going to come after him to bring people into a greater understanding and a greater relationship with the Father. Everybody say, the Father. So John the Baptist's message, you guys, was a very powerful message. It was a very robust message, but it was limited to what John had access to at the time. John was preaching about um, the, the, the people of Israel and this, this zealous God and this God who desired to have a strong relationship with them. But John did not have the whole ministry of Jesus to lean on. John didn't even have the, the Holy Spirit or the access to the things or the teaching or the knowledge of the Holy Spirit either. But it was a powerful message of the repentance of sin that would bring people into that greater relationship with God. So I want us to, to see what's going on here now in the first portion of chapter 19. Everybody go back to verse 1 with me. While Apollos was at Corinth, so Paul left Apollos and all those guys behind. He took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. So he came back to the place that he had gone just a couple of chapters prior. There he found some disciples. All right. So when it says that Paul found some disciples... He's talking about disciples um, that were Christians, Christian disciples, people that were following the way. And he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. All right, let's pause there for a moment. One of the things that we as Christians sometimes forget is... That God has given us the word of God. And the word of God gives us knowledge, right? But what good is knowledge 
if we don't put it into practice? What good is knowledge, what good is knowledge if it is not lived, lived out in such a way that brings a greater emphasis or a greater um, a highlight of who Christ is? Okay? And so, in their response, he says, what baptism then, then did you receive? And they said, John's baptism. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is in Jesus. All right, so if we're, pro- if we're, if we're tracking right now, you guys, imagine John the Baptist down by the Jordan River. People were coming to hear this message of the Messiah that was coming to to connect man with God. John was preaching about a message about a man who was actually a God-man, preaching about Jesus or the Messiah, the one that they had been talking about for hundreds and thousands of years through the ages. Imagine John the Baptist down there baptizing folks, right? And receiving this this baptism and this message that John was teaching. But not having the full understanding of what God truly intended for his people. Um, It's like, if you think about a car engine. When something's not working right with the car, it struggles. If a transmission is going out, what happens to the car? The engine slips. You hit the gas and the car doesn't move, right? You heard the saying, man, things, th- things were going and working on all cylinders, right? It means that every single function and a part of the engine or the motor of the vehicle are functioning and working together so that it creates a powerful turnover and gives the vehicle the power that it needs to do whatever it needs to do. Um, let's just say, let's just say here in the sanctuary, if only one air conditioner is working and the other six or seven are not, then it's going to take a lot longer for the one air conditioner to cool down this place. It's going to put more stress on the one air conditioner because it's trying to cool down this whole building until that one finally goes kaput. Last year when we were assessing um, our whole campus, taking advantage of the, the pandemic, we found out that there were only four functioning air conditioners in this building, and normally there's eight that were functioning. So at some point over the pandemic, we were able to get all of the air conditioners working together so that now this room cools off in about 30 to 45 minutes. What I'm explaining here is what happens when we don't have full access to everything that God intended for us in our faith. In other words, John's message or John's baptism was only a part of God's original design for the gospel that needed to be taught or needed to be preached. Now, John's message was enough 
in that his baptism and the message focused on Christ. So Christ is all we need. But our faith doesn't stop there. Our faith has got to continue to grow. For example, a Christian who comes to Christ or comes to faith early on, let's say in the first six months to a year, you learn as much as you can about your new faith. But your faith can't stay the same. Your faith can't stay in the same place. It's got to continue to grow. We have got to progress. When the Apostle Paul came to Ephesus, he found out that there were a whole lot of believers or disciples that only had a portion of the gospel message and only a portion of the access to the power of God for their daily lives. So Paul says, what baptism did you receive? And they said, oh, we've received the baptism of John. And Paul says, oh my gosh, you only have a, a small segment of everything that you need for this life, for our faith. So what I saw going on, you guys, right here is that Paul was bringing them into a greater understanding of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So he says, you need to have the baptism of Jesus, right? Because John's baptism of, of repentance, you guys, brought them to, that, to acknowledging who God was, who Father God was, and started to learn a little bit of who Jesus was, but they weren't baptized in the name of Jesus. Verse 5, on hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus, and when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. And there were about 12 men in all. So, at which point they recognized that they needed to be baptized in the name of Jesus and not just in the name of John, right? It's like being baptized here at Mission Ebenezer, in the name of Pastor Josh. That wouldn't fly, would it? No, because it's not about a man. It's about God. It's about our following God and recognizing who Jesus is. It's about connecting the dots from the Word of God to Jesus, who is God himself, which brings us to that place of salvation in our lives. So what does that mean for us? It means that the new significance of repentance of sins, and that also means that they believe that Christ offered forgiveness, right, through the baptism of John, but more so, Paul was now offering them the Holy Spirit. Paul wanted to bring them into a greater faith, the baptism of Jesus Christ, and the sign demonstrated their belonging to the church and to the body of Christ. And that's why the Holy Spirit was going to give them a more robust understanding of their faith. That when they would receive the Holy Spirit and they would be baptized in the name of Jesus, now they're, they're going to be working on all cylinders, so to speak. So we may be asking the question tonight, well, what is the significance of Paul asking them about the Holy Spirit? Or the role of the Holy Spirit in their lives. <clears throat> well, it's very significant for us as Christians because 
in every book in the, the New Testament, except 2nd and 3rd John, there is a reference to the Holy Spirit. But John, John was not operating from the perspective of having the Bible at his fingertips. John was preaching from his knowledge of the prophets. John was preaching from his knowledge of who the Messiah would be. And then he was receiving revelation and inspiration from God to go and preach the message that Messiah is coming. Right? He says, there is one who is coming who is greater than I. I'm not even worthy of untying his sandals, John says in the Gospel of John. Right? But in this regard, we see that in the New Testament, every book of the New Testament mentions the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. Okay? For us as Christians, it's important for us to know the significance of the Trinity. Now, the word Trinity... Are, we, are any of us going to be able to find the word Trinity in the Bible? No. You're not going to find the word Trinity or in Spanish Trinidad. Okay? But we like to use words that help us understand who God is. And so the Trinity means a, a triune Godhead. Three persons in one. One God. Not three gods. Not Father as a God, the Son as a separate God, and the Holy Spirit as a, another God. No. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are one God in three persons. Okay? And the Scripture helps us to understand these things. So when Paul comes and meets these disciples in Ephesus, he sees that they need a greater understanding and that there are some gaps that need to be closed in order so that they can fully understand who God is. And watch this. They could understand the role of the church. Because when the Holy Spirit was poured out, you guys, the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the church. It was the launching of the church in Acts chapter 2. And the sign of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, which is basically 17 chapters prior to the chapter that we're reading tonight, it was the sign of things to come. It was the sign of the early church. It was the sign of the body of Christ coming into a formation. It was a sign, you guys, that the Lord wanted you and I as believers or as persons of faith in order to do Miracles in order to be a sign, if you may, to the world itself. Why? To bring people into a relationship with God. Are you guys following me so far? And guys, guess what? In our present day, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead that is most likely neglected in the Christian faith. It is the neglected doctrine. It, the Holy Spirit and the role of the Holy Spirit is often left out in some Christian faith traditions, in some different forms of our Christian uh, theology. Okay? And why is that? The gift of the Holy Spirit. 
When Paul says right here that he, he began to teach them the baptism of Jesus Christ, and at the same time, he laid hands on them. It, this didn't all happen all at the same time. This is probably a process of Paul teaching, Paul preaching, Paul showing them by way of stories who the Holy Spirit was and is and the significance of the role of the Holy Spirit. Paul had to bring the people to this understanding. Look what it says there. Paul said in verse 4, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. This is Luke writing, right, you guys? The author of, of Acts. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Now, the reason why I said that the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and the doctrine of the Holy Spirit is often neglected is because of formalism in the faith or a fear of fanaticism that have produced a reaction against the emphasis on the Spirit's work and personal experience. Because the Holy Spirit, you guys, um, is such that when the gifts of the Spirit show up in one's life, it kind of, in some, some ways, if we're not careful, it can leave the, the beaten path and go off and start to develop or turn into something else. And sometimes people are leery of the gifts of the Spirit. Sometimes people are leery of what the Holy Spirit does because it's, He's Spirit. He's the Spirit of Christ. He's the Spirit of God that lives in us, right? And if we're not careful and if we don't understand the Word of God, if we don't have a good, healthy understanding of what is good doctrine, what is good theology about the Holy Spirit, then no wonder why some faith, some Christian faith traditions don't want anything to do with the gifts of the Spirit. But you guys, I want us to know that the Holy Spirit is very significant for our lives. The Holy Spirit is very significant for the church. It's the grace and power of the Holy Spirit that works in the life of the believer and in the life of the church. So I am going to read an excerpt from a book on the doctrines of the Bible, and it's written by Meyer Perlman, okay? Meyer Perlman is an excellent reference for Christian doctrine, or Pentecostal Christian doctrine. And what do I mean when I say Pentecostal doctrine? I mean our Pentecostal doctrine or teaching of understanding the things of the Spirit that we learn in the Bible and that we live out in our daily lives, okay? As Pentecostals, we're saying that we believe in the gifts of the Spirit. Now, you don't have to be a Pentecostal to, to say that you believe in the Holy Spirit. We hope that all Christians believe in the Holy Spirit, right, you guys? All Trinitarian Christian faith should have a healthy understanding of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, okay? 
So all Christians should recognize and should believe in the teaching of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. But whereas Pentecostals, what we're saying is that our Christian faith, which is emphasized at the day of Pentecost, right, in Acts chapter 2, which happened there in the first century, after Jesus had ascended, he promised the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that was to be promised, you guys, was to be readily recognized as the baptism of the Holy Spirit or speaking in tongues. And when the baptism of the Holy Spirit fell upon those who were in the upper room in Acts chapter 2, who were waiting for the Holy Spirit to be poured out upon them. The book of Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32 says, And my spirit shall be poured out upon all flesh. My servants shall see um, visions and dreams, so on and so forth. And so you guys, what we're seeing here now is that we as Pentecostals believe in the full gospel. We believe in the full doctrine of what the Bible teaches. And we're not just some, some branch of Christianity that only believes in a certain aspect or element of the faith. For example, although we're Pentecostals, it doesn't mean that we only talk about the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean that we're just... Um, a Holy Spirit moved church where the Bible is not taught. It doesn't mean that we're some far off charismatic church that gets disconnected from a good, sound preaching and teaching and understanding of the faith or of the Word of God. No. Thankfully, here at Mission Ebenezer, we're a part of a Pentecostal movement of Jesus Christ that places the word of God at the center of our faith and practice. Where we, we desire to have a healthy understanding and a healthy working out of our faith in healthy relationships with one another. Where in this place, you guys, you're not going to have folks over here saying, and God told me I'm supposed to marry you. You're not going to have a, an, an unhealthy practice of our, of, our, of our faith or have a church where people worship the pastor or the pastor has unlimited control or power or authority. Like this church that I was a part of in Gainesville, Florida when I was, when I was in, um, playing baseball at the University of Florida. They referred to this man as the apostle so-and-so. I'm not going to say his name. But there was no, no couple, no young person in the church could be married. Nobody could do anything without the pastor's permission. And I didn't find out about that until a couple of months into attending that church. And then after attending it for some time, I found out this is not a healthy place. I better get as far as I can away from this place. When I stopped going to that church, they started sending people out to the baseball field to spy on me. And then they had somebody wait for me after a game one time and told me that I was a backslider. 
because I wasn't going to church on Sunday. I'm like, what do you expect? I'm playing ball today. We already had chapel. I'm in the word of God every day. Amen. It was just an unhealthy place. So what I'm trying to explain here today is just because we're a charismatic church, we're not a church that is chaotic or out of order. There's order within the body of Christ, and that's very healthy for us Christians to understand how these things need to be worked out. Amen? So I'm going to read an excerpt, uh, just a brief excerpt, on the things of the Spirit. Because Paul, when he recognized that the disciples there in Ephesus, at least a small group of them, only had the baptism of John, and he realized that they didn't even know who the Holy Spirit was. They didn't even know that, that the Holy Spirit was God in their understanding of the faith. So they had, an under, in other words, they had an, an incomplete understanding of who God was. They had an incomplete understanding of their faith and practice. And that's why we as believers have to be very astute about our own growth, about our own study. You have to know what you believe so that you don't come across people who are going to feed you garbage and you going and starting to chase garbage. Because some people know what they know and they know it so well that they are persuasive. But their persuasion leads people away from a right practice and faith that is healthy. It can become very, 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 very dangerous. Very dangerous. So watch this. Let's talk about tongues. Because tongues are at the core of what Paul was talking about. And what happened, the people were baptized by the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in tongues. Now, this is not the first time that speaking in tongues is mentioned in the book of Acts. As I mentioned in Acts chapter 2, in Acts chapter 10, and then in other places, we see the, the, the charismatic gifts, okay, of the Holy Spirit continuing to be played out and exercised within the body of Christ. In other words, the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the speaking in tongues didn't just happen when the people were baptized in the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. It wasn't just a one and done kind of event. If it was just a one and done kind of event, then it would be very difficult for anybody, for me even, to to understand or to teach that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is something that God desires for us to be able to to practice in our own faith even 2,000 years later. Are you guys following me so far? So because biblically we see that the baptism of the Holy Spirit or speaking in tongues continued to take place and continued to happen after the initial outpouring of the Holy Spirit, What it means then is that the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues and the other gifts of the Holy Spirit are meant for the church for all time. That there was not a cessation of the gift. Pay attention. There was not a cessation of the gifts. What is a cessation? It means that the gift did not cease. 
Well, if any of us know anything about the Pentecostal movement and the Pentecostal revival at Azusa Street here in Los Angeles in 1906, then Christian history would tell us that there was, it, there, there was not, um, it was not all of a sudden coming, on, coming out of dormancy after hundreds and hundreds of years. No. The baptism of the Holy Spirit continued through Christian history, just in pockets throughout the world. And I have my own historical and theological take as to why the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit or the, the great Pentecostal movement started to die out. And I, I tend to think that because of the corruption within the early movements of the Roman Catholic um, faith and because of the, the Christian faith being um, taken over by governments and making the faith a part of nation states that it it took away from the power of what God initially intended for the Holy Spirit but in 1906 at the Pentecostal revival that happened right here in Los Angeles it was a mighty outpouring and a mighty movement of God that swept throughout the whole world at a, at that particular point in time but um let me let me give us some some uh some background on tongues. I'm reading from Meyer Perlman's um, Doctrines of the Faith. It says, The gift of tongues is the power of speaking supernaturally in a language never learned by the speaker. That language being made intelligible to the listeners by means of the equally supernatural gift of interpretation. There seem to be two kinds of messages in tongues. Watch this. First, ecstatic praise addressed to God alone, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 2. And a second, a definite message for the church, according to 1 Corinthians 14, 5. So in the same chapter of 1 Corinthians, we see here that there's the gift of speaking in tongues, which is a sign, and then, you guys, there is the interpretation, which is the sign, all right, to bring forth a message for the church. Distinguished between tongues as a sign and tongues as a gift, the former is for all. That is, the initial outpouring of the speaking in tongues is a gift for all mankind, that the church was being established there in Acts chapter 2. The latter is not for all. When somebody receives the gift of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they can exercise that gift in their own prayer life. You can pray on your own in tongues, like many people in this church do. I do. When I pray on my own, when I'm in a time of prayer before the Lord, if I'm driving in my car, if I'm in the shower and I'm praying, as the Holy Spirit allows I speak in tongues in my praise and my worship of God, my adoration of God. I'm lifting up the Lord, speaking from my spirit man, 
speaking from the depths of my soul unto God in a language that is unintelligible even to myself. All I know is that what I'm experiencing at that moment when I'm praying in tongues, according to Meyer Perlman, is an ecstatic expression of my faith. And it's not an emotion. You guys, the gifts of the Spirit are not an emotion. Speaking in tongues is not an emotion. It's a spiritual act or practice of our faith communicating to God. Okay? And that is why when I speak in tongues, primarily in my own prayer life, it's for my own personal edification. It's for me to be built up. It's for me to draw upon the power that God has given to me through Jesus Christ and through the Holy Spirit to help me, to empower me. Praise the Lord. If I speak in tongues or if someone speaks in tongues in a public setting, then guess what? The speaking in tongues in a public setting is meant to edify the body of Christ. It's not meant to edify Josh Canales. If you speak in tongues in a corporate setting of worship, it's meant to edify the body of Christ and primarily for unbelievers. And let's, we're going to see, we're going to read a little bit more so we can understand why the Holy Spirit desires to, be, to communicate to the church, through the church, or to unbelievers on behalf of God. Let's continue to read. Um, there's a, a segment in here on the interpretation of tongues because we see that Paul says that they began to speak in tongues and then they prophesied. The purpose of the gift of interpretation is to render the ecstatic or the, the glossolalia and inspired utterances by the Spirit which have gone forth in a tongue unknown to the vast majority present, available to the general understanding of all, by repeating them distinctly in the ordinary language of the people assembled. It is purely a spiritual operation. The same Holy Spirit who inspired the speaking in other tongues, whereby the words expressed flow from the Spirit rather than through the intellect, is able to inspire the interpretation also. So if, if somebody has the gift of interpreting, interpreting tongues, then that interpretation is meant to be a gift of God by the Holy Spirit for the edification of the body of Christ. Meaning that there is a message that God wants to communicate to that body or to that gathering. Are we following so far? <clears throat> As the utterance when speaking in tongues is not conceived in the mind, watch this. So the utterance of interpretation emanates from the spirit rather than from the intellect of man. Notice that tongues plus interpretation, check this out, are equal to prophecy. See 1 Corinthians 14, verse 5. Why not then be content with prophecy? Because tongues are a sign for the unbeliever. How, you guys, how then are tongues a sign for the unbeliever? 
while it was one very special way that God revealed himself to people through a sign where folks would have to say, whoa. If somebody prophesied maybe a foretelling of a future event or something over someone's life that is a gift of God, then that was primarily meant to be used to bring that person to the saving faith or saving knowledge of who Jesus Christ is or who God is. So it's, it, it, all of these gifts, you guys, that God has given to the church are meant to build up the church and to bring people into the knowledge of who God is. Amen? Praise the Lord. Amen. And so when Paul gets to Ephesus and he realizes that these people have been operating, living, practicing, and acting out their faith according to the baptism of John, he's saying you're living out an incomplete Christian life. And so what I'm trying to communicate to us today, you guys, is this. Is that if you too have been baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit into the baptism of Jesus, and you have not yet experienced the gifts of the Holy Spirit or speaking in tongues, my encouragement to you is to begin to seek the outpouring of the Holy Spirit through speaking in tongues through your own, for your own personal edification and for the edification of the church and of the unbeliever. I know, I know, I know some of us right now, some of us are saying, Pastor, you know, I'm kind of comfortable where I am. I'm good with my, my intellectual knowledge of, of who God is. I'm, I'm satisfied with where I am in my faith. And, and, and I'm good right there. And what I would say to you is this. Hey, trust the Lord. What I would say is this. Seek God and look within your own heart as to maybe why you may not be open to the charismatic gifts of the Holy Spirit in your life. And then put God to the test. Invite the Holy Spirit to move in your life. Invite the Holy Spirit to take over your rational mind so that you can go to a, another, another place, a, maybe a deeper place spiritually in your walk with Jesus. And I'm not saying you're, you're less of a Christian. I'm not saying anybody is half of a Christian at all. If you don't have the gifts of the Spirit, that's not what we're saying here today. What we're saying is looking at the text and looking at what the Bible is teaching us in Acts chapter 19, even the apostle Paul desired for the people to have the fuller expression of the faith. And I think that is a blessing. You know, sometimes when when folks are, or, or the church, capital C, are afraid of the gifts of the Spirit. 
It's because the gifts of the Spirit can be um, experiential in nature for some people or some churches or some, you know, organized groups of people. And what I mean by experiential, I mean folks say, well, you know, that may be their experience or that may be your experience, but that doesn't mean it's mine. And that is true and much respect. And so nobody should ever push anything upon anyone, all right? What we're simply saying is, for, for me, as a pastor, as a, a believer, as someone who was baptized by the Holy Spirit, not even when I, I wasn't even trying to speak in tongues, I wasn't even seeking the Lord in, in, in the type of way that was, was trying to um, make anything happen or force anything to happen, for me, and my, again, my personal experience was that I was baptized in the Holy Spirit and began speaking in tongues after I had simply had thrown my hands up in thanksgiving to the Lord during a worship service and while thanking the Lord, while praising God, and while recognizing His awesomeness, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so, here in Acts chapter 19, Paul finds these disciples, baptizing them, baptizes them in the name of Jesus, and then, as he laid his hands upon them, they began to speak in tongues. What a blessing. What a blessing for those people to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit through the ministry of Paul. And I would say for us, in our prayer lives, seek everything that God has for you. Seek everything that God desires for you. Just in the last couple of days, I was able to get away with my family um, and we went to the mountains. We were just a little closer to God. And um, we had a family devotion every day. We would read a devotion in the morning and because we weren't running around in the hustle and bustle of life, in the busyness of life, we were able to do a devotion in the evening as well at dinner. It was so cool. And we were having a conversation around the dinner table, me and Boomy and the boys and Lola. Lola, our five-year-old daughter, chiming in from time to time. And I said, hey, boys, why is it important to, to read the Word of God? And they said, oh, Dad, it's important so that we, we grow in our knowledge. Okay, why is it important to grow in your knowledge uh, so that we can learn more about God? Okay, yeah, that's great. Why is it important to know more about God? And I kept asking the next question uh, so that we can have a closer relationship with God. Absolutely. And how do we have a closer relationship with God? Do you get brownie points with God for reading the Bible? Do you get some kind of reward system like at Starbucks, right? Or at Jamba Juice or at um, Einstein's Bagels? Every time you read the Bible, do you get 
extra points? They're, and they're, they're responding, well, no. Well, is it a good thing to read the Bible? Yes, it's a good thing to read the Bible. But what's the point of reading the Bible? And we're having this wonderful, wonderful understanding of connecting our understanding and our knowledge of God to bringing us closer to God in our relationship, in an, in an intimate relationship with God. One of the devotions that we were reading, authored by Oswald Chambers. I loved it. I love his daily devotionals. And Oswald Chamber, Chambers was, in one of the devotions, was explaining the importance of having a life that is devoted to God, not solely so that we grow in our knowledge of the Word of God, but so that we, by the power of the Holy Spirit, can bring that knowledge to life by the way that we live. And then he said this, and what good is that knowledge of Christ? What good is the knowledge of God if we don't recognize that it's only by the cross of Calvary that our faith even is worth anything. Right? So, every day we can be a nice person, we can be a kind person, we can live out the teachings of Jesus, right? In the Gospels. And we can have this Christian ethic that says, you know what, that guy, he's just a great guy. That person, they're a very pious person. But this, what is the point of all of that if we don't recognize the cross of Calvary? Because even if on your best day, even on your best day, you try to live a perfect life, you'll recognize that it's all vanity. It doesn't mean a thing if you don't recognize that Jesus died for us and he was the only perfect person. He was the only perfect person and because of his death and because of the cross at Calvary it's our faith that explodes and comes to life in our understanding of what grace truly is you know sometimes it's futile to try and just be this good Christian person if we don't recognize that it's all about Jesus, it's all about God. We try to be, we try to live up to some impossible expectation. Only to the point of frustration. Only to the point of emptiness, because you know that you can't. And we recognize that we can't. But you know what? There are some people that forget about the cross of Jesus. Forget about what he did at Calvary, that he paid the price for us. That it's already done. So rest in that grace. Rest in the grace. And in resting in the grace, you guys, guess what? That is life. It's not in trying to live a perfect life tomorrow. Not cussing, not thinking a bad thought. 
No, but it's living life with the full understanding of who Jesus is and what he did. It brings us back to Acts chapter 19. When the disciples were living out an incomplete version of the faith under the baptism of John. Only a baptism of repentance. Okay, my, my sins are forgiven. Great. Now what? Paul says, now be filled with the Holy Spirit and go out and live for Christ. Because look, the baptism of John was void of the, the life, the ministry, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Is it clicking now? John's baptism had none of that. So people who, who had recognized this message of repentance, oh, you know, I, I, need, a, I need to get some, some things straightened out in my life. Hey, that's great. Hey, you know what? There's some areas of my life that I need to clean up too. Praise God, that's wonderful. But that's not what it's all about. Paul says, you got to recognize who Jesus is. Jesus is the one that it's all about. You need to understand what the cross at Calvary is all about. Not just that Jesus was Messiah. Okay, Jesus is Messiah. Jesus of Nazareth is Messiah. Now what? No. That Jesus guy, he died for your sins. That's why you're forgiven. This Jesus who died for your sins... He also rose from the dead. Furthermore, demonstrating and illustrating his divinity, that Jesus is God. Hey guys, the teachings of, of Buddha were very compelling and still are to many, many a people. The teaching, the false teachings of Joseph Smith were very compelling and still are compelling to some people. The teachings of Muhammad, the teachings of Confucius, and so on and so forth, are very compelling to people. But none of them died for the forgiveness of sin and rose again, conquering death. None of them. And for we as for us as Christians, we breathe. We live Christ and his spirit lives in us. And so the Holy Spirit brings us together in such a way that brings the colors of the kingdom to life. That's what the Holy Spirit does in the life of a Christian. So I'm thankful for this story of Paul in chapter 19 of the book of Acts. I'm thankful that um, he continued to preach the full gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is the same gospel that we need to live out, that we need to teach, and that we need to share as well. Amen? Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand of praise tonight. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. 
Okay, um, I want to open it up just for a few minutes. If there are any prayer requests, okay? If you have any prayer requests that you'd like to um, bring before the church tonight, um, you, can stay, you can stand up and say it right there from where you are. You can come up here and, and share with us maybe how we can pray with you or pray for somebody else. Um, how many of you know that for us as Christians, sometimes we have to go beyond ourselves and intercede on behalf of others? Amen? And so that's the, the life and the body of Jesus Christ. So uh, is there anybody that has a prayer request? Brother, Brother Frank. Brother Frank Garcia asked for a prayer for his family, for his, um, for Elias and Irena, his uh, nephew and niece, teenagers who lost uh, their father. Brother Adrian, Frank's brother, um, a few months ago. We're gonna we're gonna continue to pray for them. So, church, if you have a journal or on your phone on your little notepad, can you write down the names of Elias and Irena Garcia? Uh, anybody else? Prayer request. Brother Carlos. Okay, Carlos has a co-worker named Doug Tracy who's going to be having heart surgery. And we're going to lift him up. Um, and his surgery is next week. Okay, Doug Tracy. You can write his name down. Doug Tracy. Um, we'll have a heart surgery next week. Anybody else? Brother Robert. What's her name? Francisca. We're going to pray for Brother Robert's uh, wife. Francisca's grandfather passed away today. Wow. Long life, sounds like. Pray for the family in Jesus' name. Anybody else? Sister. Okay, we'll pray for your nephew, Jack, that he's okay, who fell off the top bunk. Pray that he's okay, Mia. Thank you. Anybody else? Anybody else? All right. Um, pray for my mom and dad. They're they're coming back from uh, Guatemala. Pray for traveling mercies for them. And um, the Canales family. We're going to be um, all together next week. So I pray for our traveling mercies for our whole uh, clan, and that the Lord just has his way on our family vacation. My brother David and his family are coming down from Seattle. Um, Koba and his family will be there, my, my family and my parents. So um, pray for the Lord to, to meet us there and, and the Holy Spirit to have his way in our midst. Amen? Amen. Let's all go before the Lord. I'm going to ask everybody to stand to your feet. Let's pray. Father God, we 
the body of Christ come before you tonight. And Lord Jesus, we ask, we ask, Father God, for these prayer requests that have been lifted up today to be uh, heard and met. Lord, you're an almighty God. You're, you're a sovereign God. You know what is best for us. And you know every situation, Lord Jesus. But we, the body of Christ, are called to, to intercede on behalf of those who are in need. So, Lord, we lift up the Garcia family at the point of their need. Lord, you know what the teenagers are going through and the challenges that they face right now, Lord God. And we lift up Elias and Irena in the name of Jesus. We lift up Doug Tracy, who's going to be having heart surgery next week. Lord Jesus, we pray for protection over his body, that you would um, guide the surgeon's hand, Lord Jesus, that you would give him a speedy recovery and that it would be a successful procedure. Father, we lift up Fran uh, Francesca, Francesca, Francisca. We lift, we lift up Francisca, and Lord Jesus, we ask that you would meet her where she is. Lord, you know the, the need there. You know Brother Robert's prayer. You know the situation, Father, better than anybody. And we, the body of Christ, lift her up in prayer. Lord Jesus, we know that her family also lost the grandfather, and so we lift up the family. Right now, in the name of Jesus, bring comfort, bring strength. And Lord, that you would bring the family into a greater knowledge and understanding of who you are, Jesus. That, that Lord Jesus, you would move, Lord God, in their midst. In the name of Jesus. We lift up um, baby Jack. Pray that he's okay um, after his fall, Lord Jesus. Lord God, we pray for every prayer request that is unspoken here in this place. Every person represented, Father, has a need because we all have a story. We're all coming from some place. Lord, you know the thoughts. You know the situations. You know the needs. We lift them up right now in the name of Jesus. And we thank you, Father, in advance for what you're doing. We thank you, Father God, in advance for answering these prayers. Father, I pray for loved ones that may be away from us. Father, we pray that you would bring comfort to them as they are away. Father, we lift up my parents. Give them traveling mercies, Father, as they travel back. Be with our family as we go on out on a family vacation next week. That uh, Holy Spirit, you will have your way and, and allow us to have a wonderful time together. Lord, you know every health issue, every sickness, every disease that is represented here, Father God, in this body. Father, we come against that right now in the name of Jesus. Father, I pray for those, Lord Jesus, who um, need a, a healing touch, Lord God, upon their bodies. You know who they are, Father God. You know what they need. Father, you know how to strengthen their body. You know, Lord God, how the body functions better than anybody, for you created us. You fashioned us and you formed us, Father God. And Lord, we ask for that healing that you offer us through your son, Jesus. We ask for that healing, Lord God, to take place, Lord God, in every single person that's here tonight. We thank you for the word tonight, Father, that it is strengthening us. 
I thank you, Father God, that you're helping us, Lord, Lord God, and, and that the body of Christ here at Mission Ebenezer Family Church is bringing others, Lord Jesus, into um, the knowledge of Jesus Christ, bringing us into salvation and the acceptance, Father God, of who you are through your son, Jesus. We pray all these things in Christ's name. And everybody said, amen. amen. God bless you, church. We'll see you next time.